Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be a part of that storytelling here today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan. And I'm Darren Lasagas. And uh, when there's an overwhelming amount of misinformation, uh, and disrespect for Indigenous peoples in the media. How do you practice self-care in the face of it uh, while reclaiming your people's narrative? Uh, today on the show, we have Gujumara and Wiradjuri man James Saunders. Uh, on the show, James looks after business development and partnerships for Indigenous X, uh, an Indigenous-run digital agency where Indigenous people share their knowledge, uh, opinions, and experiences with a wide audience across the world. Uh, James is also an actor and is an, an up coming show with Chip and Street Theatre in October. It's called Good Grief. It's a story revolving uh, around the many forms of grief experienced by three different characters, and that's on uh, from the 1st of October un- until the 11th. You can book your tickets now. Yeah, really excited for today's show, but Sarah, how are you? I'm really good. I feel like this, this year is starting to hopefully get a new... Um, change of it, change a leaf, change a pace. Yeah, what makes you think that? <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe. <laughs> I think maybe like I've just accepted circumstances. Yeah, <laughs> I mean we've had enough time to just kind of sit in it a bit and be like, how do I go from here? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think now I'm feeling a little bit more because I'm feeling a bit more accepting of those circumstances as well. Yeah. Um, I've really kind of like me and you were talking before briefly about how um our socializing has changed as a result of COVID as well, and we really just want to make sure that we keep space with people that we already know and where yeah. our energy goes. Yeah. I went to like a small gathering last night uh, in which there were people there um, who I uh, don't know already and it made me realize that I haven't like met new people in the past six months at all and I was like, how do I relate to them now? I know. I don't know. It's such a... I don't think I could go into a space of like a party situation with hey people I don't know like I was 21 again and <laughs> yeah. try and have that small talk conversation like I would just be like I don't care I don't care about anybody <laughs> here I don't know you like, I'd rather not I even like I had a situation the other day but it was a work situation where like mm. I had to um work with two people that I hadn't like met before it was the first time I was meeting them and I was just like oh like how do I talk? How do I string a <laughs> sense together? And then I started like nervously talking and then over talking and yeah. it was just embarrassing. And I was just like, wow, like this year's really just made me want to not be around anybody <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> well, yeah, it really shows you who are the people who matter to you the most. Like, mm. who are the people that you go to when you want to be with other people and yeah. who are the people that you kind of okay not seeing anymore. Exactly. And I think as well with how we've been sharing space this year, we've started a bit of a Race Matters gym crew. Oh, yeah. I mean, two out of three is pretty good. <laughs> um, Tanya Ali, who's our executive producer, is probably listening to us right now and being like, wow, thanks, guys. Well, no, to be fair, we have been <laughs> pushing her to change gyms, okay? That's true. She refuses. She thinks she's too good for us in whatever gym she goes to. <laughs> Sarah and I have our little gym sesh. We do sprints. We yep. do, I don't even know. Weights. We do deadlifts. We do Circuits. Core. Darren wants to punch me at the end of it. Like, I'm like, one more set. He's like, mm, like, I have to go to work. I have to leave. I have to go. No, but uh, you may have heard if you listen to Tanya's show that she has uh, sustained a pretty immobilizing injury. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to force her to come to the gym with us. Sending lots of love to Tanya Ali, who yep. uh, is a little bit crook at the moment. But uh, yes, here in spirit on Race Matters, you are with Darren Lasagas and Sada Khan. And today on the show, we're joined in the studio by Gunnar Chamara and Wiradjuri man James Saunders. James works for the renowned Indigenous media outlet Indigenous X. He's an actor and performing artist, and he's also performing in an upcoming show called Good Grief at Chip and Street Theatre Company. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. So Indigenous X has grown immensely since its inception in 2012 and has seen an exceptional range of First Nations voices um, come in and hold that space and speak directly to the wider community. That wouldn't happen usually or ever in a major media outlet. How did you first engage with Indigenous X? Yeah, um, it was about 10 years ago I met Luke Pearson, who's the, the founder and CEO. Um, this is before, like, you know, when he, when he first was, like, getting known on Twitter, he was becoming a, a known yeah. name. And he had this idea and he told me about Indigenous X then and it was kind of in its infancy. Um, and just over the years, we've always stayed in touch and collaborated and worked with each other on different things. Mm. And it's at the time we both were working at the ABC and he said... I want to get serious about this. I want to, I want to take it further. Well, you know, if I ever come into any money, would you be interested in coming across and helping? And it, and it happened one day. So, yeah, I took the chance. Yeah, and a massive, like, chance as well because, like, having to create something like Indigenous X, like, you really do have to bet on yourselves. But I guess it also comes down to, like, having that confidence in the community to follow you with it as well and knowing what community really wants because especially coming from the ABC, like, those kinds of spaces tend to condition you into thinking about what stories, what audiences want to hear and yes. you kind of know better. Yes. But it's sometimes hard to, like, disengage from that. Yeah. And know what, like, know deep down and trust your own gut instinct. Yeah, and I think the philosophy Luke kind of has set Indigenous X up on is something that I really believe in. Is that we don't, we don't need other people to tell our stories for us. Mm. We we can do that, and we can tell the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Yeah. And so to be to have a space and to like, and that's the philosophy. It made it easy for me to front up every day and and work there and and build something. Uh, that is, you know, that's operating quite well now. Like where we've been, I've been there for two years as a full-time employee and we've got a couple of people coming on this year. Uh, yeah. And it's a testament to that philosophy or the, the core, at the core of it, that's what it's about. Yeah. hundred percent. And especially like, did you guys know in those early days, did you expect the platform to grow to what it is today? Oh, look, Luke's a visionary. So I'm sure, sure Luke had <laughs> seen that. Like he has many visions. Uh, I, I, I knew there was something there from the early days. I was like, there's something really solid here. Mm. 
but shaping it so it can be sustainable. Uh, we don't receive any funding, so we literally work for our supper. Like we, we, you know, do consultancy work and we we do contract jobs and we have people that donate to us, uh, you know, regularly and and uh, on a subscription model. These all these things work uh, in the kind of startup media space. So to see it go from that kind of startup to now being a bit more established and a bit more of a, a brand and a name is something I'm really like proud of to be a part of you know yeah and it's also kind of it's become a place for other businesses to now partner with in order to better shape their own workplace in regards to workplace discrimination and it's it's kind of a little bit of a um double-edged knife in that sense where it's like you know once you tackle this aspect of the media landscape and you reclaim your voice, you're then engaged with other places on how they can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you and the rest of Indigenous X kind of strategize your meetings with these businesses that do approach you for your assistance in their anti-racism? Yeah, so the anti-racism training is something that Luke has done uh, you know, in different um, spaces over the years. And Indigenous X, it's a natural fit, I think, for the, the company to, to do that training. Um, but there's a reluctance, I think. I think companies think anti-racism training is this lens of looking at, at black people and, and brown people and non-white people. Whereas the anti-racism, anti-racism training we do is actually not that. It's actually looking at, at, at white supremacy mm. And, mm. and whiteness and all those things that racism stems from. So the lens isn't on us as non-white people, it's actually on white followers. So I think businesses and corporates can tend to really be con- um, confronted with that. Uh, and they think they're ready to go on this journey. You know, Black Lives Matter, everyone was like doing the thing, we're so ready for this. Yep. But when you get down to the crux of it and to racism and all its, and particularly here in Australia, I can't even really speak from that perspective, at its root and at its core, it comes from this white supremacist uh, mindset. And that's what the country was founded on. Um, so to, and to really look at that and not get not get um, offended or hurt or take it personally is really challenging for a lot of white fellas. So, yeah, it's it's still something we have. We're still getting, you know, bits and pieces of people coming yeah. on board wanting to do with the training. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. And like we're moving so far beyond that like time of cultural awareness training mm. where you see a lot of the cultural awareness stuff that has happened. It's been productive in some sense but it's not really like an ongoing thing and like I've often heard of you and Luke talk together about how we have to push beyond the um you know learning about and more like critical engagement and critical thinking Mm. about this um about this land and about the first peoples of these land and the histories and how history has been you know told over time as well to make people think the way they do currently about whatever type of illusion they think they're living in of like, you know, good old Australia, we're a first world country. Mm-hmm. And so you guys kind of like pushing beyond that now, it's kind of really changing the game a lot as well in terms of like how biz- like businesses would definitely get a bit of a crude shock from you mm. in terms of what your expectations are of them. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really important that cultural awareness training and cultural competency training still has a place. And this anti-racism framework, this training is actually to, to, to complement that. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's where the, the organization or the business is at in their journey and where they can, where they're willing to, to move into. And I think cultural awareness is a great introduction and it's a, it's a very, very, you know, um, it's an overview of, of culture, right? Um, but looking at that without examining the things that have prohibited us from actually practicing and maintaining culture mm. I think is really important and really vital yeah and it's almost the next stage on you've got to really like examine that yeah uh, yeah and how, and how that works in in, syst- in in systems and in structures 
in in the country uh yeah. yeah yeah i feel like a lot of spaces be they professional or not uh deal with these ideas of cultural competency or cultural awareness in the same uh kind of breadth of diversity and inclusion but i feel like that's completely different to anti-racism but how 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 would you explain it as being different to like anti-racism being different to diversity and inclusion Oh, I have to say this quite openly. I'm really not a big fan of diversity inclusion. Yeah, yeah I find it, uh, it's a ticker box exercise. And I, and I find it can, it can also, I've been put in positions before where I've been hired for that reason. And my manager knew that I was hired for that reason. So I was treated like that. I was not treated like a valued member of the team, like I actually had skills and input. I was treated like a ticker box. So diversity inclusion is, I'm very bitter and cynical about that. Yeah. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah. But uh, with anti-racism training, it's really, it's, it's unpacking things that have not been unpacked in a lot of spaces. You know, our politicians don't talk about this. You know, when they've done big speeches over the years, when, when talking about blackfellas, they're not actually addressed some of the root causes. And that extends from the systemic racism that this country operates on. So, yeah, um, diversity inclusion is, yeah, not, not, I'm not a big fan. Sorry. No, I mean, what does it mean at the end of the day? It means you're bringing in people from diverse backgrounds into spaces that are already predominantly white. Yeah. And it's like, that is a violent act, you know? You're still going to be the minority. It's not, you know, equity. It's not equal representation. It is literally, as you said, like a box stick. And that is, you know, it can be more damaging than it is productive. Yeah, I mean, like, we've all been, we've all, like, everyone here in this room has definitely been <laughs> yeah. in that position of being <laughs> a box like, ticker. We have all these, like, things running through our head. It was like, oh, yeah, that happened, that happened. But this yeah. is what it feels like, yeah. And it definitely, like, we don't have to look very far to see how diversity inclusion doesn't function at all sustainably. Like, it only does, like, the bare minimum. Especially if you look at, like, how, like you were saying before, like, with politicians and we have, like, people like Pauline Hanson having, like, regular um, slots on national TV to spout what she says and speak to, like, racist ideologies and making that whiteness, that white supremacy feel very, very validated with no challenge happening whatsoever. And then we want to import diversity and inclusion and say that's doing the most. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's insulting, isn't it? It's highly insulting. And it's also, if you look at diversity and inclusion and you, you know, look at a workspace or a place of business or a corporation and you look at all the people at the lowest rungs and they're, that's where the diversity and inclusion comes in and you go to the board or you go to the, the, the managers or the higher-ups and they're not diverse, mm. it kind of defeats the purpose. There was a really big conversation on Twitter about that at SBS, you know, yeah. our, our multicultural broadcaster. And, you know, th th there's no diversity at those levels. So there's, it doesn't achieve anything for me. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like as well, there's becoming an even stronger understanding now amongst ourselves, amongst people of colour and Indigenous peoples about what we want. And we have a very stronger understanding of ourselves and um, this surface level awareness that everyone else has about race and racism. And we want better action from our non-Black colleagues and friends. And um, I feel like a lot of the writing at Indigenous X um, definitely reflects all of that. Um, what are some of the ways um, we can expect this from non-black people of how they incorporate that proper anti-racism action yeah i think it's i think it's um, there's been a journey for people who have gone and exploring the ideas of white supremacy and racism and, and how that and looking at it from a lens of a, of a white perspective i think it, that's that's a really great place to start but when you really really break it down and you're really to examine you look at uh, intergenerational wealth, for example. Mm. Intergenerational wealth is not something that, that Indigenous people have or, or people that have recently arrived to Australia. So it's like people are starting 
so much further in front of us and it's 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 looking at that and looking at the reasons why blackfellas we don't live in mossman we're not in neutral bay we don't have houses in volcluse yeah you know people look at us and think oh you guys get you know 33 billion dollars spent on you from the government that's a that's a that's nothing compared to what the, the government spends on the rest of the country and where the wealth really sits in this you know and so it's yeah looking at all of these facets that play into what makes up a modern day country um and unpacking that yourself and doing the work yourself, bringing people in to do anti-racism training. That's doing the work. Yeah. How do you, I mean, a, a lot of people who, you know, listen to this show uh, have uh, reached out talking about how they've taken on the work for themselves, uh, speaking, you know, with friends or like with family or like to their workplaces about these conversations that have not been touched on before. How do you balance that without not assu- like assuming too much of the responsibility uh, in those spaces you occupy that it burns you out. Yeah, I mean, self-care is so important. Mm. Uh, you know, like having to constantly educate people, on, you know, and you're, you're the go-to in all these conversations, you know, even when you're the, you're the only person of color or indigenous person in a room and they look to you to answer the questions, it's exhausting. And then mm. you've got to take the time. You've got to sometimes go, you know what? I'm not here to do that. You go on Google, go go do your research. Here's some here's some links. Go to Indigenous X, go to, go to here and, and educate yourself and start there. And maybe then one day when I'm, I'm not so dra- like drained, yeah. I'll have that yarn with you. Mm. Yeah. Do you think Indigenous sex is becoming that place that we can direct all those questions to now? Well, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely content there, articles that have looked at it. Mm. And we, we're looking to really ramp up what we do and offer our content in different ways. So like, you know, audio or video format so people can engage with it who don't necessarily want to read 800 words. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's always, there's other people moving in the space that are doing very good things. There's other articles you can read. There's plenty of stuff online. There's, you know, scholars, uh, particularly in the US, who are really, really prolific in this space. So, you know, it's just a matter of digging and finding that stuff and really good books. There's really good literature out there about this stuff. So, oh, there's like an overwhelming amount of like critical thinking and thought, and, and it like... existed for a long time too. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it's like it can like when you get asked like the most like simplest, simplest, baseless questions, you're just like. <sighs> I really like, do I have to do this again? Do I have to do a 101 again? Mm. Do you feel like that sometimes? Oh, yeah, all the time. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan. And I'm Darren Lasagas, and we're joined by James Saunders, writer, actress, and business development and engagement manager at Indigenous X. We've been unpacking the importance of Indigenous-led media um, and the work non-Black business must assume within anti-racism. Uh, James is also a perform- uh, performing in Good Grief. It's a new show at Chippen Street Theatre. It's a story that explores the themes of loss, uh, love, uh, redemption, uh, but James, joining this space uh, and story, you know, in the midst of COVID and uh, a global movement of centering black life, how does the, the offstage impact your performance and, and your storytelling on stage? Yeah, look, this has been a really interesting project to work on. Um, it touches on Indigenous incarceration, which is a very topical thing at the moment. Um, and it's something that I personally like, I have a brother waiting to be sentenced at the moment, and I've got you know, a couple of other brothers who have been to prison as well. So it's something that really resonated with me. Uh, and, it, and it looks at, you know, uh, suicide and self-harm, which is something I personally resonate with. And I think a lot of black fellas do, you know, in, this, in, in Australia. So it's, it's, it was, yeah, when I first read the script, 
I was really confronted. I was really like, I'm going to have to sit with this and work out if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this, if I want to actually audition and try for this show. Um, and then since doing that, coming on board, I've, I've really had to like work with the writer and the director to help steer the ship because the writer and director are both aren't indigenous. So the show isn't, it's not an indigenous play. There's just this character that I play who is indigenous. Uh, and, and it's how he kind of navigates life after getting out of prison uh, and dealing with his family who are actually, who are white. Um, and so there is a lot of things in there, nuances about race. Um, but I don't think the, the crew, the cast, they're quite aware of those because they don't, they're not aware of what race and how race matters to us. Mm. So I really had to kind of go on this journey. We've been unpacking different themes, having conversations, rewording certain parts of the script. Uh, you know, take, I've taken on a load and it very, it's very much similar to a lot of people who are, who are black and, you know, indigenous or, or people of color in, in workspaces. When you realize something that needs to be spoken about and it is race, you've always got to be careful because some people get really like confronted by that, mm. particularly, particularly white people. So it's like, no, this is, I'm not doing this to be nasty. I'm doing it so we can make a really good show, you know? So people come and they, t- they get the takeaways that they should be taking away. Yeah. I feel like as well when it comes to storytelling and who's navigating the storytelling, it can be like a bit of a, um, you know, a shock when you've questioned the storyteller as to like, you know, their, their role in the space of the storyteller. And if like, you know, because we've been having big conversations in the midst of Black Lives Matter around who is actually speaking on these lived experiences. Even within our own black community, we've been having conversations around people appointing themselves as leaders or navigators of a story that they don't even, they don't really have the right to or their community hasn't given them that permission to. So, like, if you want to even take it outside of the black space and people are, like, you know, taking upon those stories, it's like, well, we, you know, accountability is becoming a big thing now and it's not about, like, you know, if you're wrong, it's just about, like, think a bit more critically about your own role in the space and whether or not you should be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, look, in terms of stories, we, we want, like, well, I personally want as a performer, I want roles that are challenging and the roles that, that push me as an artist and mm. push me as a creative. And so working with someone who's not Indigenous, you know, this writer, she's not Indigenous. Uh, and we've had a really honest conversation around some of the work. Uh, you know, if, if you've got Indigenous characters, bring an Indigenous writer get someone to edit that script, get input from these people. Like there are people in our community with lived experience who could add so much to your script. And it's not about policing what you're saying about our lives. It's about adding value. Mm. And that value comes from a lived experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the whole scape of storytelling is changing so much now, especially within the industry and looking like we've even had big conversations mm. here around um, Milan, the recent live action oh, film yeah. Milan and like the because, fact that, yeah. you know, if the live action film, the whole um, production in terms of the writing, producing and directing were all white. Yeah. And it comes to this question of like, if you're not vying for authenticity with your storytelling then who are you telling this story to and what is it serving by telling it in an inauthentic way and what are these representations doing to the people that you are deeming to represent you know Mm. these are questions you should be asking if you're writing a story or you're not reaching out to people who have the lived experience when you're writing a story um, because it may be a detriment to them it may be detriment to their people it'd be it'll serve as a misrepresentation to an audience who may not understand this lived experience A hundred percent. Yeah. And I guess like in your experiences as an actor and being black, where our stories are either told for us or sometimes not told at all because 
you know, the space is sometimes so heavily gatekeeped we can't even, like, enter into it when it comes to film, stage and television. Um, If you do get, like, that foot in into the space, how do you kind of um, take charge of the space to ensure that you do tell the story that fulfills you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in creating your own work. And, and writing your own scenes and playing with short stories and, and you know, with all the stuff I do, I don't, I don't play into the stereotypes. Like if my characters are Indigenous, they are, they're living like mad lives. They're doing cool things, you know, like, cause we do. Yeah. And like, and that's, you know, to go back to the philosophy of Indigenous X, it's about celebrating and talking about all that stuff. So I bring it into my work and like for actors need a showreel, right? So at the moment I'm writing a scene for my own showreel. And so it's like, I, I, I really encourage people if they're thinking of getting into this space, drive that. You make your own stuff. Do stuff that you feel passionate about. Um, and it may not make heaps of money. It may not be loved by everybody, but at least you're having your own kind of take on things, your own authentic voice. Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't. I'm I'm taking that advice. I'm yeah. going to write my own like scene now for my showreel. Yeah. I need to update my showreel. <laughs> you just giving me, you just giving me like the motivation I needed there. <laughs> well, yeah. There's, I mean, there's like you think about the streaming services, Netflix. There's all these things now where there's other avenues into the space. Yeah. You don't have to go through these traditional routes, which are very much gatekept by people who are total professionals, and you know they've got their reasons for being gatekeepers. But if you've got a good story. And you're you and it's and it's something solid. It may get through, and it may get you may get somewhere, you know. But sometimes it's just good to get it on the page as well. Like, don't stop creating. Mm, like, exactly. even if it's not good, it's still it's it's you. Yeah, yeah. Issa Rae is a perfect example. Issa mm. Rae, she's a writer, an actor who was in Insecure. She started with the Awkward Black Girl yeah. YouTube series, but she released three other things on YouTube before Awkward Black Girl got taken up, you know? And the stuff was dry. She, it wasn't, like, awesome, but she had to go through those experiences to get to where she is with Insecure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, James, you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, the show uh, explicitly deals with ideas of grief. Um, it's a concept we've all had to kind of reckon with as expressions of grief are played out on a public arena more now than you know ever before. Uh, how have you reconciled your your own understandings of grief with with the show? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Um, it touch the show touches on you know multiple stages of grief that we mm. all go through, and there's a real humanizing aspect that 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 happens within the show, which is we're all going to experience grief. We're going to lose loved ones. And it's it's how you navigate that post something traumatic happening. And it's how you come out, if you can, come out the other end. Because some, some people never do. Uh, and yeah, I've had to really, uh, you know, make sure I had the right things around me. So I've got like people to talk to. I have, you know, uh, solid people in my circle who I can bounce things off when I'm feeling like I'm confronted by some of the scenes or some of the subject matter. Um, I think that's really important. Um, but there's also like having little things to do for yourself that make you feel good. That doesn't rely on anybody else or substances, you know, mm. like just little things you can do. What do you do? Well, I, I like I have a, I have my dog. So oh, dog walking her in the morning yeah, is really yeah. good. Like training exercise. I've, I, I, I like really like to exercise. But the writing, the writing has been a therapy because you can talk about the, the negative stereotype that my character is. And I'm playing this stereotype, but in my writing, like, you know, some, one of my one of the stories, my writer is, he's a scientist. Yeah, he's indigenous, but he's a scientist and he's really cool and he's really quirky and it celebrates all the, the those components of my personality. I'm not just the story. I'm not just the statistic. I'm not just the grief, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that's something that's been pushed a lot as well. And that's, we want to see more black joy 
of ourselves so much as like it's all well and good that um you know people that are allies online are um engaging in black lives matter and resharing the stories that you know major media outlets don't want to in terms of you know police brutality and deaths in custody and desecration of our lands as well and our sacred mm. sites and that's all that's all really really important but at the same time that's all all of that that's not who we are that's what's been placed upon us mm-hmm. what really matters like what's paramount really to Black Lives Matter as well is Black Joy and there's a new movement that's starting around that Black Joy matters and you know that's you know putting that into your writing because that's that's why our storytelling is so important that's why um having us creating and self-determining the narrative is so vital because like otherwise the story gets told for us and it can just be a bit too much about trauma and what other people think our identity is and that's not that because when we're with our people and when we're in our like best version of ourselves it's just nothing but beauty totally. and love that's all i can think of when i think of being a black fella mm-hmm. is just like lots of beauty lots of love and lots of humor and yeah. i think even our anger is that love too yeah totally i totally agree i've traveled the country for work over the past 10 years and i've been to places and when I when I go to places and they've got bad reputations or there's these stigmas attached mm. to them, I go in and I see the love, I see the yeah. joy, I see I see the potential, you know. Uh, and and I think it's it's really important for our audiences and non-indigenous people to know that yeah. that we do have moments of love and joy and happiness and dreams and aspirations and all these things that make us human, you know. Yeah, we are a deadly, nuanced, complex, layered <laughs> everything. Everyone just wants to be us anyway. Um, <laughs> we asked this question, our final question to all of our guests. And um, that is, James, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh, that's a really difficult one. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think I think I realized it when I returned to, to my father's country. I think when I went back to Gundujamara country mm. in Southwest Victoria, I kind of... You, you hear people talking about belonging and connection and stuff, but to experience that and to fully know that your 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 ancestry, your generation, generations, generations, it goes back so long. This connection, it's so powerful and it's so strong. And I, and I think that's when I, I realised there was so much power in being, you know, Gunujamara and Rajri. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that that was what it was for me when I was a small boy and I went home. Yeah. Yo, Darren Lasagas and Sada Khan. And this week has seen some audacity. <laughs> I, I feel like that's been my word for the week, audacity. I feel like I've overused Caucasity. I'm just going to go back to oh audacity for a bit and just recharge on Caucasity. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But we've been seeing it again when it comes to celebrities and um, their engagement or lack of engagement with movements and campaigns online and the stuff that they do ends up being totally tone deaf. And one of those things this week has been a month... I didn't even know this campaign was a thing until after the fact, and that was apparently all of these celebrities and high-profile people on social media were shutting down their social media for 24 hours um, to fight against... um, big social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram um, 
like pushing racist and right wing fascist rhetoric and information online. And so they're like, we're going to fight against this by shutting down our account for 24 hours. Stop the hate. It was called Stop the Hate. Oh, yeah. 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 And so it's all like, obviously, Kim Kardashian, yeah. um, <laughs> Kim K, and Leonardo DiCaprio as well, which I was also like, come on, brother, do better. Also, what, <laughs> what is he posting anywhere that people are going to miss? He does a part. I don't feel like he ever posts, does he? It's very, a lot of him, like, I don't ever really see him post. I find him a bit sus too, so. Do you? A little bit. Oh, I've always liked to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's all him. Um, Katy Perry was one of them as well. Demi Lovato doing this big um, post and big kind of grandstanding, I guess, mm. about the fight against racism. And it's like, this isn't helpful, It's a virtue though. signal. Give us your millions and redistribute your wealth. Yeah. Redistribute your wealth. We don't care if you're not posting stuff. It's not like you're posting good stuff anyway. anyway exactly. But Open I'm also your just purse. like, does this not speak directly to the fact that you can exit? Yeah. Like you literally did a physical exit. We've been carrying on. We're not carrying on. Sorry. I shouldn't say carrying on. <laughs> We've been like, feel, sometimes I feel like I am carrying on. <laughs> But, like, we've been talking consistently, ongoingly about the fact that your privilege when it comes to race and race matters is the fact that you can exit. Mm. When it comes to racism and the conversation around it, you can exit. That is your privilege as a non-black person, as a white person. And you've literally started a campaign about exiting. (laughs) It's such a warped sense of, like, responsibility that they have this platform, they have this power, they think that if they unite in this superfluous idea of solidarity, then that's their work being done. Yeah. It's like, who's saying yes to this? Who's saying yes to all of you singing Imagine Together in Black and White? <laughs> like, who said yes to that? that? I'm sorry. Like, I still think about it. I'm like, who? Like, is that, was that a dream? Was <laughs> that a dream? It feels like it was. It feels March, like a dream. March feels like a dream. March feels like a dream. <laughs> Madonna in that bathtub. COVID is a great equalizer. That is the stuff of nightmares. It is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> and it's just like, who also told you that a hashtag was like grassroots work there's a lot of these like new age activists as well that are using hashtagging as like any form of activism and it's like no it's not can we just like dismantle that idea altogether burn it all down <laughs> that's, I think that's hand like, over your Instagram handles. Oh, I feel like at the end of 2020, that's what the slogan for Race Matters is going to be. Because we're going to be oh so tired. God. We're just going to say, you know, what, guys, burn it all down. Let's start again. Yeah, let's just let's start again. Actually, though, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> that is all for us for Race Matters this week. Big thanks to James Saunders for joining us uh, on the show today. Uh, his show, Good Grief, is on between the Thursday, the 1st of October, until Sunday, the 11th October. It's on at Chippen Street. Theatre, that's 45 Chippen Street in Chippendale. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your podcast. We'll catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.